0: Hey, everybody, this is Larry the Cable Guy. Check this out. So I'm in my truck driving with my buddy, and we was heading up to the men's warehouse to fart in the suits, and he's listening to his phone, and I said, that sounds like Hermie Sadler. He said, it is Hermie Sadler. He's got a podcast called Leanin' Right and the Left with Sadler and the Senator. I said, Sadler and the Senator? He said, yeah, that's his good buddy, Virginia State Senator Bill Stanley. I said, well, what in the world? He didn't know this. I said, did you know that Hermie Sadler was voted one of the 50 best-looking drivers in NASCAR. He said, I did not know that. I said, because it ain't true. <laughs> you never know, though. He never takes off his helmet. But I know one thing. This show, leaning Right, turning Left, is good. So pull up a chair right there by your phone, get yourself a cold beer, and give a listen right here to this week's episode of Leanin' Right, Turning Left with Sadler and the Senators. I'll tell you what, I bet Michael Waltrip's even listening. He's always wanted to do something like that. Oh, Sadler, got another one over on Waltrip. Get her done!
1: I'm Virginia State Senator Bill Stanley, and I'm
2: leaning right. And I'm former NASCAR driver and Fox Sports analyst Hermie Sadler. And I'm turning left, leaning right and turning left with Sadler and the Senator is back and is always powered I pay somatic. Hermit Sadler. What are you doing, Senator? Man, I am sitting on the couch, which is something I haven't done in a while. <laughs> I'm tired. I have to say, you look, I, I made the trip over to Richmond. You're still in session. Yep. We're here made in my apartment. made the trip over, and you look, you're, you're casually dressed. Thank you. Usually, you're coming in on two wheels um, with your um, with your suit on, just yep. getting out of the yep. Capitol. But you're, you look casual you've got your ss racing custom built nike shoes you've got a saddle stanley racing pullover made by my son jeans, both have been made by my son and you look fresh do i look fresh you look fresh i, I don't know and that i'm not I getting fresh, fresh. <laughs> but you look fresh you look pretty good yourself yeah, buddy yeah. i mean i'm a little tired yeah
1: you know we've had crossover last week's episode was about crossover which was where the senate has to pass all our bills send them over to the house house does the same sends them, sends them over to us and now what we usually call, you know, the wood chipper, uh, then the other side considers our bills, we consider theirs. We've been doing that for a while. Uh, we've had some disappointments. I think the Democrats are on the Senate are afraid to kill any bills from the Democrats on the House. The House seems pretty vigorous in, in killing bills from Republicans. We're going to talk about that later, but you know, it's one of those things where it's either a lot of intensity and a lot of emotion or it's a lull. Today, we just uh, voted on the budgets. Each chamber uh, creates a budget based on the recommendation, the, the budget that the governor sends down. He sends down a House bill and a Senate bill, House Bill 29, Senate Bill 30, or something like that. So and the budget
2: y'all voted on came from the governor? So the governor
1: like, writes the two-year budget, mm-hmm. and then, um, then what they do is they amend it. And so each, each side takes his budget. Appropriations? Where, yeah, appropriations, right. finance on, on the Senate side they look at the spending priorities that the governor asked for and then now that you have democrats in the house and senate controlling the finance committee in the senate the appropriations committee in the house what happens is they basically tear it up and what i'm really seeing is both sides you know as we've said before 51 49 in the house controlled by democrats 21 19 you know you're talking one seat uh, on either side controlled by the democrats and it just seems to me like they are if it says glenn yunkin on it then they're going to crush it. So Glenn came out with some, uh, Governor Youngkin came out with some spending priorities and some taxing, re, re, redoing our tax system to try to get rid of the car tax, which is noble. It's the most hated tax. Everybody who has an automobile pays a car tax to the locality. The, every year. I mean, you, you pay a tax so you to own your
2: car. A sales tax when you buy it or personal property tax? A no, personal property tax.
1: Okay. We call it the car tax. Yeah. You know, so you pay a tax for owning a car that you paid for it and paid taxes on. It's kind of silly. And if you, if you poll Virginia, no matter where you make that poll, from Northern Virginia to South side or Southwest, most hated tax on the planet. And he had a way of getting rid of that tax. Now he was going to adjust upward the sales tax. He was going to capture some new revenue with taxing things that you buy online. You know, like if you buy, uh, if you buy uh, songs, you pay a tax. Mm -hmm. Most states do it. We haven't done it uh the internet's probably the most untaxed uh region and and that's somewhat good but it also is you know when you're taxing a mom and pop store but not amazon and we closed that loop a while back and that's not fair to the mom and pop store the small business here in virginia what we were looking at here was to adjust which is two billion dollars you're taking out of the system to refund that to the localities to make up for the difference for the money that the localities would not be able to tax they were then uh, given that money that we would get from raising uh, online services tax and cutting the the car tax, and then adjusting upward the sales tax, which is a consumption tax. You know, it's it it was a bold plan. The other plan he had was monumental. Is the ownership group of the Washington Wizards? We've talked about that before. And the Washington Capitals, they want to come to Alexandria. We're going to build a, an arena. It's going to We're going to bond money in, but it would bring a lot of income to Virginia over time. And I looked at the process. I, I'm for it. I'm for it. I'm for getting those teams out of Washington, D.C. Crime-ridden Washington, D.C. It seemed like a good plan. Democrats decided for themselves no on getting rid of the car tax, so they're going to keep taxing you there. They have decided no on the arena, and our friend Louise Lucas has really taken a strong position on that. But they kept the tax of the internet stuff. So you raise more money on the internet stuff. You didn't raise the, uh, the sales tax. And you knocked out and left in the, the car tax. And they're spending that money. Funny thing that you'll find in the budget, though, and it pertains to us as well, baked in that cake is the revenues that are anticipated to be generated by skill games. Mm-hmm. 250 to $300 million. They kind of put it in the budget without saying, here's this is what we're getting from this and this is what we're doing. As they do in the budget, you know they they always have a sleight of hand somewhere. But it seems like, for me, um, while they got rid of Governor Yunkin's agenda, both the House and the Senate are kind of looking towards that revenue from skill games and small businesses, restaurants, bars, truck stops, convenience stores. And once you put that in there and you start spending it, uh, chances are it's not coming back out, and, and so you know, that makes the bill you've look probably better seen to them
2: pass here. You know, in the mornings, I wake up and watch Channel 6, the CBS affiliate out of Richmond. Right. And the casinos are running some of the most god-awful, I mean, you're talking about bad messaging or trying to create a false narrative about skill games. Yeah, let's talk about that. I mean, what what have you seen? Well, they're just running these commercials making it look like Skill games are horrible. The businesses that have them are horrible. Arms old ladies. they the, you know, people spend their last dollar, you know, here, and they're unregulated. And Criminal it, elements. It's, it's unbelievable. Kids playing them. Yeah.
1: And they call them, they don't call them gray machines anymore. They call, they call them, them convenience store slots. Exactly. That's and they're not even slots. I saw that.
2: They are games of skill. Right. They are not games of chance. That's, first of all. And, you know, they want the average person or the person that's not, let's just say, plugged in mm-hmm. to the skill game issue. They want it to say these, as we've heard this word before, these scuzzy old machines in these convenience stores, they serve no purpose and they're bad for society. And a lot of bad things happen around these stores with these games. And you and I proved in a court of law under, uh, oath, when you were questioning the head guy with ABC who was in charge of enforcement and oversight, you ask him all these questions: What about the criminal element of skill games operating in these places that are operating them legally? How about the crime element? We didn't see any of that right uh, you know the places are well lit they're well staffed. you know all of this Kids is because playing them. yeah, all of this is because the casinos i I would have more respect for the casinos if they would just buy a much shorter commercial and just say, we're with the casinos and Rosies. We want a monopoly. We want to be the only industry in Virginia that operates any type of gaming machine, period. That's what we want. And I think more people would respect that than trying to just run all of these negative ads that are just lies. Well, They are know, just you lies. you know in
1: politics? That's, you know, fear. And but I have seen drives recently to, drives the
2: now somebody in the skill game industry is running some ads to kind of dispute some of those that. claims.
1: What, what do those say?
2: They're just basically saying, don't fall for this bad messaging from the casinos. Skill games have and will continue to be critical revenue sources for small businesses in the Commonwealth of Virginia. And, you know, it tells the truth. It tells the, you know, you can look at anything and put a positive spin or a negative spin. So easy. they do So it easy today. to do. Yeah. But these commercials are talking. They would only make an impact on people that have no clue. First of all, what a skill game actually is. But but again, the advertisement is like is it call your legislator, I guess? Yeah. And tell them you don't vote want no. Yeah. On on convenience store slots. <laughs> so they've gone from gray machines mm-hmm. to it, to convenience store slots. No more gray machines. I mean that's you know, we're getting used to that uh word
1: and verbiage. And so what they're they're hoping is a grassroots Amount of people call your legislators and say, I don't want these slots based on what they see on the TV. Commercial, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so what you've got to do, though, is one, they're not educating the, the electorate or the constituents. Right. Two, they're asking them to do their bidding for them. And three, how effective is that when that train has really kind of left the station? And I think what it demonstrates, at least in my mind, and the 14 years I've been you know, an elected senator, is that seems a little desperate. Yeah. It seems desperate because you're now... You couldn't control. You've been controlling this for years, ever since you got in with historic horse racing and Churchill Downs, ever since you then got sports betting uh, through fantasy sports. At first, you know, once they once they creaked they creaked open the door, they all here came the gambling, and then here came casinos, and now they they got through the door and they wanted to control it all. They wanted to be monopolistic. They didn't want small business or Virginians to participate in this. It was all out of state casino interest, gambling interest. And now what you've seen, basically, and I can tell you this, Herm, and everybody comes up and says this, because of your lawsuit, because you had the courage to say this isn't fair when SB 971 allowed gaming for a year through the pandemic, then the ban took place, you filed the injunction, we got the injunction, we got the injunction temporarily for 23 months, which allowed these businesses to thrive and survive. And then when the Supreme Court vacated that injunction based on them determining for themselves... That because of the General Assembly put that, that budget language, that criminal code language, what they weren't supposed to do, but they did anyway, into the budget that we had, we had deemed gambling to be the same as a skill game, and therefore it was not protected by the First Amendment. They vacated the injunction. It's gambling it.
2: because the casinos say it's gambling.
1: Well, and you know, it's in their whole determination. when I read the opinion, the Supreme Court opinion of the Supreme Court of Virginia's opinion was based on what they thought the intent of the General Assembly is. Well, now it looks like the intent of the General Assembly is different. So what does that mean? And what I was thinking is, so what do you do? Let's, let's, let's just pontificate here and hypothesize that the General Assembly figures it out. Right now we've got a bill in the house that was Aaron Rouse's bill, a very reasonable bill. They put the house bill on top, you know, basically they conform his bill to, to the house's version, which is 30% tax local referendums, internal counters. I mean, stuff that they knew could not work. Mm-hmm. They're trying to kill it. When when that bill came over to the Senate when at crossover, we put Rouse's bill on top of it and sent it out. Now they're both going to the appropriations committees and you're going to have what we call committees in conference on each bill assigned by the chairman in the Senate, by the speaker in the House to try to work out the differences and try to close that gap or take one version over the other. The House version is unworkable. Yeah, So but then where they box themselves in a little bit is they put the money in the budget and they've spent the money in the budget. So they're going to have to figure this out. And I think ultimately we're going to get a deal, but it wouldn't be here unless you had fought well, and gotten I think, victory. I,
2: and I say this every day because I've gotten lots of nice comments and things from business owners and families that, you know, when somebody looks at you and says you and Bill Stanley helped save my family business. Yeah. That's powerful. Yeah, it is. You know, and I I don't take that lightly. But I think one thing it did do, and I wasn't even thinking about it during the course of the lawsuit or the injunction or going to court and all that, it gave a lot of people, including legislators, who in the past had voted against skill games, it gave them an opportunity to really see how this revenue and how these games for the businesses that operate legally and do things the right way, how beneficial it was and how truly the story that the casinos were telling were greatly exaggerated, you know, and and things just, the environment is not like that. And so you and I have talked about this before, but the day the Supreme court came down with their ruling and all of the casino people and the lobbyists and all those people, they were like, we won. Yep, it's over. What they really did was they woke up a sleeping giant of That's small right. business owners, customers, legislators. Did Louise Lucas. When they started making phone calls to people like Louise Lucas, mm-hmm. and I've told you this now, Supreme Court rule, ruling comes out on a Friday afternoon, which we were all surprised by. The next morning, 9 o'clock, Senator Louise Lucas is calling me saying, I cannot believe what the Supreme Court of Virginia yeah. has done to you, you know, in the wake of your lawsuit, why are they, why are they involved? in then I'm like, Louise, I, I mean, don't know. She was know. telling
1: you, what are you doing or what am I doing Yeah, what it? are
2: we going to do to fix it,
1: you know? And she's, listen, she's been firm and steadfast. And I think, I got to hand it to her. You know, I've been watching her in this budget process. Now, there's a lot in the budget that got passed today. I voted for it, and we'll talk about that in a little bit too. But, you know, in a comparison from her and Janet Howell, and even... You know, before that, Tommy Norman was the co-chair of uh, Senate Finance. Her willingness to look across the aisle and work with us, her willingness to be transparent in what she was doing is, you know, she's a Democrat. We don't agree on a lot. It was a breath of fresh air. I mean, I was pretty amazed. She would come to me and say, hey, what do you think about this? She, hey, I'm going to put the governor took out funding in his suggested budget from new college for FY26. I'm putting it back in, Billy. I believe in what you're doing. That meant a lot. And then we worked through the other things. And, yeah, they put in tax hikes and they kicked out a bunch of Yunkin things that we liked. And they're spending a whole bunch of money on education. And they're, they're, they're doing for mental health a lot, which I think is good. There's a lot of good in the budget. But she worked with us. And, and it wasn't just them in one room and we were outside the door. And when it came to skill games, she stayed true. She understood what, what the importance was. She and Rouse, Senator Rouse, crafted a bill that broke down where the profit, that tax money would go to localities, to gambling problems, to to school modernization, to things that really mattered. Mm-hmm. And it would be a tax that would be probably increasing over time. She's done a pretty good job. And I she's 80 years old, man. She ran circles around uh, the Janet Howes and the Tommy Normans of the world in terms of how she handled this budget yeah. and did things that she's never done before. In the same way that you know, when you look at Ryan McDougal, who's my seatmate and been my friend forever, best man at my wedding, I mean, he is a breath of fresh air compared to having Tommy Norman. We all look around and we have new people in the Senate caucus and they're like, they think that's normal. The people that have been there for a while are like, we can't believe how we're communicating, how we're interacting, how we're transparent, how everything is a collective The decision. thing that I would think... And it, and it says that right here in the budget and with skill game. The,
2: the thing that I believe, you know, I know Senator Lucas very well. I know Ryan McDougal very well, as I do you and others. I don't agree with a lot of what Louise Lucas does politically. Yeah. But the one thing that her and Ryan McDougal have in common is Louise is not one of these and neither is Ryan McDougal. They're not going to come say one thing to your face and go to another group of people Absolutely and say right. something else. Yep. You're going to know where they stand, just like you. Yep. You know, you're going to say what you believe and what you think is correct, regardless of who you're talking to. You're not going to change your narrative or your story to, to make somebody, you know, like you or, you know, Louise is what she says to me is the same thing she has said to y'all or into committees and to appropriations yep. and to all these people, and to the press, and to the press is like, she speaks her mind because she was telling me things that first Saturday morning way back when when this process first started and I thought to myself I'd be surprised if Louise says all this publicly but sure enough yeah. she, she has said up. it publicly or like it I don't stuck like to it you know stuck to it
1: and, and, and you know and let me let me say just this um I usually never vote for the Senate budget because it it usually flies against what I believe in and and you know really that's not the final budget and I don't know if I'm going to vote for it or against it but her her dedication to it is respectable, even though there are things in there that I completely disagree with. But there's a lot I do agree with. You know, raises for our employees, are a 3.8% raise for our teachers. You know, in, in the first year, of 3.0, you're talking about 7% raise for teachers. They need right. that. More money to education, public education, trying to make sure our rural areas and our inner cities are providing the same quality education that we're obligated to. I don't to think you could pay
2: a good teacher with the, with in 2024 enough money.
1: Well, and, and that's it. You're not getting the good teachers because you're not paying. Not competitive. So, so she mm-hmm. did a lot of good things. But but you know what? She came to me and said, I'm going to take care of new college and put the funding back in that the governor took. Which is problem. important for your area. And I'm going to f- make sure that skill games, that our small businesses, have a, an ability to participate in the gambling market, the gaming market. And so for me, and you know I'm against gambling, but for me that said something that she's true to her word, where you could not count on, with all due respect to, Janet Howe or Tommy Norman, to be true to your true, right. to their word, as you just said, mm-hmm. and so I was compelled to vote for it, and we streamlined the process. Let me tell you budget budget day is usually you've got the amendments, and there are it's like five hundred six of them. We pull them out and we vote on them, or we you know before we vote on the budget as a whole, yay or nay, we streamlined that. she worked with us to make sure that we, you know we weren't pulling out things that were going to upset her. We had to vote for things that She wasn't going to like, she understood it. She wasn't vindictive about it. It was the fastest budget session we had on the floor today. We were out in two hours. Uh, and, And she was respectful and we were respectful back to her. It was a good moment for her. I think it was a triumph for what she was doing, even though, again, that's not a budget I'd normally vote for, but I voted for because of what she did and she kept her word. And that means something in politics, even if you disagree. It's just moving the instrument along to go over to the House then the final negotiations will occur, and we'll see if I vote for that. Uh, but she did an excellent job. And for once, I think in a long time here in 14 years, all the votes that we've had on different bills, we've had so many 2119 Democrats win. 2119 Democrats win on bills. This bill, Senate Bill 29, Senate Bill 30, 29 is the caboose bill, cleans up financing and costs and, and recaptures money and re, re, reallocates it. 38 to 2 in a highly divided Senate, 38 to two, the two being John McGuire's running for Congress, so he's not going to vote for it. And Glenn Sturdivant, who's really, you know, taking a very conservative position, understand why he has. But what does that tell you? That tells you that at least on the Senate side, we're trying to get to yes. We're not going to sacrifice our principles. We're not going to sacrifice, you know, what we believe in, but at the same time, we want to do what's right for Virginia. And she came more to our side and, and funded priorities that Republicans had than I've ever seen Janet Howell do, you know, or any of the Democrats were there in control. And in in the opposite way, when Tommy Norman was running the show with Emmett Hanger, that they wouldn't come to their side as well. So I give her a lot of credit for that. And you and know, they, people uh, tell I, me I think the world of her, but you know, it's, people, it is people it is.
2: tell me that uh, she's been more transparent in her conversations with people. You know, leading up to things related to the budget, whereas some of the people you mentioned in the past would basically go in the back room, just those yeah. two or three, four people, and come out and shove it down your throat and say, "Here it is. We used to call that the caucus of five. yeah, I, I've heard from both sides. There's I have friends people on,
1: in the Senate, but we five people drove the train.
2: I got friends on both sides of the aisle in both Senate and House, and you know, people have said at least that Louise has kind of spearheaded conversations with people she wants to know that don't mean she's going to change her mind or position but she wants to know what the temperature is on certain things yeah. uh, from a, a diverse group of uh, of people rather than it being you this is it
1: and you vote for it you know yeah and, and i think if we have partisanship right now like i said earlier it's on well, look, governor young
2: the nci project if there was even if it had nothing in there about school teacher raises And even if it had nothing in there about public education, which is, you know, important to schools in areas like, and if it had nothing in there, potentially about skill games, NCI alone for you, if, if, if she sees the importance and the work that you're putting into that and the potential benefit to your community, that alone has
1: to bring you to the table. Absolutely. And she was true to her word and she was caring about it. This wasn't, you know, she, she didn't say, okay, Bill, I'm going to do this, but you got to vote for the budget. She never made that a this-for-that kind of thing. All right, if I'm going to do this, you got to support me. I made that decision on my own, but, you know, I presented the facts to her, uh, spent an enormous amount of time talking to her, Mamie Locke, and people on the other side. The staff at New College really went to bat, came up here a lot, talked to the people that they knew, made sure they saw that we were, what we were doing. The governor's staff made a, a bonehead move Removing second year funding. We do two year budgets called a biennium budget. Had the funding in the first year zeroed us out in the second year. It was a reckless move. I went on, you know, we we talked about this. I went into the newspaper and said, you know, your budget's dead on arrival, you're leaving the people that got you elected on the side of the road. Governor Yunkin pulled me in. We had a long conversation. He agreed to come down to NCI. He did. He was very impressed with what we did. We showed them what we're doing, where we're going. But Louise always had that confidence. I didn't need to, you know, take her down there and show her necessarily because she knew, and she said to me, if you're fighting for something like this, then it must be worth
2: believing in you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, both she and Senator Locke, Mamie Locke out of Hampton were very kind. And then the house felt the same way and they restored the second year funding. That would have been enough for me, I guess. Um, But I felt obligated at that point because she really did. That was so important to my region. I mean, you're talking about $4 million out of a, $170 Hundred and billion dollar two two-year budget. Well, that, and that goes back to part it's of what I much, said a couple weeks that. ago,
2: Bill, is regionalism is underrated in Virginia because NCI may not be as big of a deal in Northern Virginia or, no in, at all. or in Portsmouth even or Virginia Beach or whatever, but in your part of the state, it, it needs not only to survive, it needs to thrive. So for them to see that you know, that would be enough if, you know, if, if I were in your shoes, that that would be something like that, 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 you know, you have to think about what your beliefs are also, but you have to also think about the people yeah. in your region well, and, and you represent, you know, you're Republican, but you're representing everybody.
1: honestly well, where Lee Ware, who was a delegate and became a judge who just passed away and was a good friend of mine. When I came down here my first year, he said, you may wear you know, the Republican Jersey, but think about your people first. Cause you represent yeah. all of them. Yeah. NCI new college Institute is a bellwether of where we're going in the future for workforce development created by the, by statute, by this general assembly. It was supposed to be, you know, people down there wanted to be a four year college. We're not making any more four year colleges, but we've been able over the past five years as chairman of the board to transform it into something that's going to be really, really engaging in bringing industries in training people that are, maybe at or below the poverty level to give them a chance to break the cycle of poverty. This is an innovative new thing that we can go on. uh, And I think it, it means a lot. And she knew how much it meant to me to have it in there. And she was willing to, to trust me on that. And so I appreciate that. But you know, we, we still have many mile more miles to travel before we go. We got two weeks left in this general assembly session. I can't believe we're already through six weeks. We've had some tussles. We have some, partisan stuff. Are y'all gonna but have that bu- will the budget be
2: finished when y'all leave?
1: Nah, I think, I think we're probably going into a little overtime, maybe an extra week. We may have three weeks to go. But you talked about regionalism. Our problem down in Southside Virginia where you live and I live is when Northern Virginia and the government in Richmond started dictating what we needed to do for our economy because we used to be the industrial leader in Virginia. NAFTA, CAFTA, we have talked about this. All our jobs went away. Stopped growing tobacco. It's bad. All our farms started dying off. And then, Now they've got bills in that are saying, because we're the only place where you can put solar farms. But our counties are deciding for themselves, hey, we're going to limit that maybe 1%, 2% of the land. And Northern Virginia's uh, uh, legislators are putting in bills that say, you can't say no to our solar farms because it's going to benefit our electric cars that travel the Beltway. Um, We're standing up against that. Northern Virginia, once again, is trying to dictate our futures. And, and tell us what's good for us without us being self determinate The one person I'm going to tell you who's actually stood up and says, I don't care what you think, Northern Virginia, is Louise Lucas and Mamie Locke, Democrats, standing with us on this to, to let us determine things for ourselves. That says something, because you know what? She's from Portsmouth. Portsmouth is not Northern Virginia. right? Portsmouth is an inner city that has the same problems and issues that rural Virginia has with high opioid rates. I'll be rates, careful not to say all, rates, but I will say... Rates.
2: The majority of legislators, especially Democrats, that I know from Northern Virginia, I'm going to say this real nicely, they come yes. across to me as very entitled.
1: Yes. Arrogant might be another word. Arrogant is another yeah, good word. They're the smartest people in the room sometimes. And I've said this before, they, they always adopt the notion that my dad used to say lovingly and jokingly to me, son, when I want your opinion, I'll give it to you. Like, they know what's best I for told us, you and they've never visited.
2: I told you a little bit before you we went on the air today about... You know, I'm working on some things through Slippy and Food Marts, our convenience store operations, and you know those we run those businesses on on margins and numbers. And mm-hmm. you know the 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 General Assembly has told us you know minimum wage is bumping, it's going to bump again, and it's going to bump again. And then we've had all these troubles related to supply chain issues, and you know we're getting price increases from Pepsi and all the beer vendors and all the Frito-Lays, they're they're going up on the price of chips, putting less chips in a bag, the whole thing all at once. And so we're having- you're stuck. You're stuck. So now we're having to, guess what? Raise our prices inside the stores to get our labor percentage back at a reasonable number and to combat prices, you know, inflation across the board. So these people want to say- Look how much better people are doing and how much more money they're making. And we're going to get a $15 minimum wage. It's going to fix all our problems. And people are getting further and further behind. And businesses are having to raise prices yeah. at a rate that I have never seen just to make the same amount of money or less. And so, you know, if you're going to start going in your local convenience store and a 20-ounce Coca-Cola is soon going to, it might be 229 yeah. it's going to be $249, and it's going to be $269. $2 for a 20-ounce set. It. Most places, what interstate name? places, or 249 now. Yeah, 50 to ninety. It, it, it won't be six months, it'll be, it'll be, it'll
1: be $3. And you, and I was looking at a report, it may have been on TV or on the internet, but it says the average person has to have, a person, person, has to have about $9,000 more in liquidity yeah. to pay for the things that they paid for, what, three, four years ago? Yeah. Now, if you're down in our area where a family of four average income is $40,000, where the the state average is 73, and in Northern Virginia it's 125, who can absorb that? Yep. Northern Virginia can. The state average can, maybe, but it's still stretch on them. But we can't in the rural areas and the inner cities. And they don't seem to care because, you know what, as long as they have theirs up in Northern Virginia, they don't care what these prices are. As long as the Washington, D.C. fat cats, you know, Watch this inflation. They said, well, it didn't raise up. They're saying, we're bringing inflation down. Yeah, it was 8% last month, and it was 6% this month, and you're claiming victory. Meanwhile, at the kitchen table, people aren't able to afford food for the kids or shoes for the kids or clothes for the kids. They're making decisions about their health care, whether they can afford their prescriptions or feed their kids or put clothes on their back. And these are decisions we did not have to make as a society, what, three years ago before Biden? And now here we got we've got another election. I just I just don't understand. This is going to be a
2: problem. You know, I know they want to be able to sit or make a TV commercial or get in the newspaper and say, "Look what I'm doing for you. You deserve a $15 minimum wage." The business owners and the people on the ground know whether or not somebody deserves $15 an hour or not. Not somebody sitting in Richmond or in Washington, how about if you're going to force me to pay $15 an hour to somebody who won't come to work half the time and steals and lays out of work and does all that, what have I got to pay a good employee? 20? Okay. So the market is supposed to take care of all that. Yeah. You know, and so they got on this think about, better than the government. they think about, you know, paying these wages, this right. high minimum wage, it's going to fix everybody's problems. Right. We've already, bl- as business owners, we've blown past what minimum wage is. Yes. Because the environment we're in You're and the way the government is rent. taking care of people, i got to compete with but the minimum government. minimum
1: wage right now in Virginia, if they have their way and the governor doesn't veto, and I think he's going to be vetoing a lot of bills, would be at 15-something 15 15, an hour. Yeah. That's $30,000 a year. Yeah. Minimum wage. Overtime
2: is going to be Minimum wage is 50. meant
1: to be entry, not to be the be-all-end Right. But when you force that number up, then, then you shrink the number that's going to come in that the is going to hire. Do, and you're actually hurting the people that actually could start out at minimum wage and work their way up sure. very quickly. Just yeah, like you, I did when I was young. You small
2: businesses from rewarding the people that, put, that are work, that are company-minded people. But worse than all that, it's like we've learned through the course of time, trial and error, that our labor percentage at each one of our locations. I'll go ahead and say it. If we get over 15% cost of labor on labor at each individual location, it's very hard to make money. If you yeah, get over 15 yeah, margins at
1: convenience stores. but the
2: yeah. government is now with us doing nothing and the raises we've had to give to compete in a market that the government is trying to set, not knowing anybody's business plans or operations or even their market. Now my my labor percentage, some of my stores are up twenty four, twenty five percent.
1: Oh my goodness!
2: So how do I get that number back to fifteen, Bill? I got to raise, raise my price. prices inside the store to, the to get the sales up. So I'm gonna pass it right back along to the people that are trying to buy the drinks and the sodas and the chips. And I mean, this is a nationwide, industry wide.
1: Problem And here's where it hurts the government, because I learned this looking at the budget and getting debriefed by our Senate Finance Committee um, employees, uh, as our staff is unbelievable. What you're seeing right now is that in the sales tax, which is sale of goods, it's regressive, which means it's shrinking. And I mean shrinking and has been shrinking in the last three years. And I, you know, I'm a lawyer, I'm not an economist. And my simple question was, well, why is that happening it's because people have less disposable income, and they're buying less. Therefore, they're not paying the sales tax. It's not that it's a failed tax. It's a portion of what we bring in and what we call the general fund. But it's, it's shrinking and shrinking in these last three years for one single reason. People can't afford to go out and pay that money. With you raising your prices to, 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 to reduce the cost of labor and the cost of goods with the to lay people, they're raising it up you're going to shrink that even more, that tax. So the government's going to get less and less by trying to provide more to the worker and to the union, whatever it is, they're actually, they're actually cutting off their nose to spite their face. They're shooting themselves in the head.
2: And I even went and spoke during session last year at a hearing related to minimum wage. You did. I even asked for, I said, how about a 90-day grace period Give us 90 days as business owners to decide or figure out if this person is going to stay at work or stay on the job because- you well, Like I, an entry wage. Yeah. Like an entry wage right? Is different a wage. wage. Give us 90 days and then look, if they pass, cut number one, right. let's give them 15 bucks. We'll take that chance. It's but the first couple idea. days, we don't know if they're going to show up day two or not, how much they're going to steal, what's going to happen, whatever. But yet we've got to adjust everybody else's pay to you know tier it based on what an entry-level pay is that the government is telling us what that should be. And I told all these people, including Louise Lucas on that committee, I said, Louise, I don't have a single person that works for Saddle Brothers Oil Company, and Food Marts, CHN, Faux Show, Victory Lane Restaurant, I don't have a single person that works for me that's been with me over 60 days that makes minimum wage anymore. I said, if they do, if you're working for somebody and you've been with that current employer for six months and you're still making minimum wage, either you're a employee (laughs) and, or you're working for the wrong people. Right. But the government, they raised the seat, the, the floor, so much, not even knowing, and it prevents me from rewarding the people that really are the ones that make our business go. And and you, and, and then you're probably more desperate
1: on the body than you are sure. on the quality of sure. the employee, right? Yeah. Having the body in the position, we're paying much more
2: and getting a much quality less quality employee. person at a cashier position. Say, but I mean, the 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 changes have been. Incremental and minimal to a point, but looking at my fi- my financials today, you know, we're getting ready for tax time and tax season. All these things are coming up, and we're like, okay, where are we making money? Where are we losing money? What categories need attention? Grocery, novelties, cigarettes, and a lot of this stuff. Another thing, cigarette pricing, margins are mandated. Yeah. You're mandated. You're talking 8 $9 a pack. You know, but they, So they
1: go up So you're driving people out of the marketplace They
2: they go up whenever they want to and they tell you the prices cigarette prices we've gotten probably ten increases this year. Uh, No doubt. But they also tell you we're raising our cost that we're gonna charge you at the convenience store, but your margin has to stay at this number. Really? Yeah, yeah.
1: They mandate what your margin is. Yeah. Yeah. So they put a cap on what you can charge. Sure can. Wow. Sure
2: do. Same way with beer.
1: And, you know, it always amazes me because, you know, we're in a fight right now over legalizing cannabis. We decriminalize marijuana. We're trying to find a marketplace. But the bills that are put in by the Democrats to to create that, and I believe Glenn Youngkin will veto this thing. So it continues to fester and we continue to allow illegal marketplace to, to flourish. But they don't want our farmers that they took tobacco away from to farm it. Or they want indoor growing. And if it's indoor growing, then you, you know what? An indoor growing facility requires an enormous amount of electricity. But how can you get that electricity when you're mandating that we, by 2035, are off the fossil fuels, the natural gas, the nuclear reactors, the coal-fired plants? We don't, we don't have the capacity. See, they, they just don't plan ahead. They don't look ahead. And so they say tobacco's bad, but marijuana's good? I mean, I'm confused. And then, tobacco's bad, don't grow it in the fields in Southside, in the tobacco footprint region. But we're going to have marijuana, but guess what? You ain't going to grow it there either. I, because of diversity, equity, and inclusion, yep. then they have to have this kind of restorative justice to determine who grows the marijuana and who doesn't. It makes no guess sense. Guess how long it's and been. And it's going to hurt us in the long run.
2: Guess how long it's been since, and we have a right to do it by our employee manual, but guess how long it's been since we've, exercise our right to to do an unannounced drug testing of our employees. What? It's been three years because I know damn well if we do it, we're going to (laughs) lose 75% of our people. Yeah, yeah. And the question
1: is, are they high when they come to the
2: gym It's normal. It's accepted. Yeah. There's bills in there right now that says you can't be fired for testing positive. So I got to, you know, you've been to the show many times. Sure. We got people that show up to work that used the Ginsu knives to food prep and cut up steaks and potatoes and onions and stuff. And it let him come to work high. Do you can't say anything to no We can't reprimand nobody. We can't do nothing.
1: Listen, I want to tell you, I was driving home from the Capitol a couple of days ago and there was this guy in a car. This car came up around me. I was weaving in and out of traffic, trying to get ahead of everybody. I mean, doing double what we were doing in traffic, pull up to a stop sign. There's a stoplight, and I look over, and he is blowing out a big old joint, and the smoke is just building. I can smell it. I got all my windows up, and I can smell it in my car. I mean, it is just so. Now, a cop would be on that, you know, a couple of years back. Now, it's not only accepted. He's probably on his way to work at one of your stores,
2: you know. And we, I pull through like drive-throughs because Haley loves to go to little drive-throughs in Emporia, and you can just smell it, yeah. weed in the drive-through at our fast food places, the people are coming out the back door, you know, and smoking while they, I mean, it's, yeah. it and is, and I'm, I'm the, I'm the crazy one because it bothers me.
1: Yeah. And, and it's so potent now. This is not your grandfather. Like a damn marijuana. skunk. It is. And it, Horrible. It, it is having mental effects on kids. It's causing psychosis in adults. I don't know, man. Obviously, I mean, I don't know how motivated you can get on one of those, you know, you smoke a blunt or whatever it is. And, and how motivated are you going to be to go back and work your hardest for your employer to get that paycheck? it then becomes this kind of entitlement. And if you go, hey, man, don't get high when you're coming to work. What's wrong with you, employer? It's not that they should have personal responsibility. It's you need to accommodate them. You need to do what they want to do. And this world is upside down and on its head. And we've got a federal election coming up where we get to do Biden-Trump (laughs) 2.0. And it doesn't look like it's going to get any easier or better. And I'm telling you right now, we had... um, we had people up here for the Right to Life march yesterday. Very respectful crowd. And what I really was amazed at was so many young people that were there. And for the first time, instead of, you know, when, when somebody comes out here to march about Palestine, uh, Palestine and all this stuff, we let them march. You know, you peaceably march in the Capitol Square. There were trans activists and pro-choice people screaming at them, treating them with no respect. Uh, there was a trans activist that ran through the middle and assaulted a bunch of young people. I mean, I'm seeing a lack of civility here. And I think it's, it's maybe the precursor of what's coming up here between now and November, as we know Donald Trump's going to be the Republican nominee. We know they're still propping
2: up Biden on the Democrat side. What the hell is going to happen here between now and November, 2024? <laughs> they are throwing some, throwing some bullets at Donald Trump. I watched the town hall maybe last night or night before with, uh, Laura Ingram on Fox and, you know, it's just, they are just doing everything they can to try and upend his, um, his ability to run. And I don't know. I just, I just hate it for the country. I hate it for our people. And, um, I mean, Joe Biden, I look, I, I'm a Republican. Um, I promote Republican principles, but at the same time, I don't pull for any president to do bad. Right. I mean, I, I don't want our country to do bad. Yeah. They're our president. You know, they're our president. So, I mean, anybody can look at Joe Biden. And, I mean, I, and I say this because Joe Biden, if you, you remember back now, I mean, you know, we're in the, we're in the convenience store, truck stop, mm-hmm. petroleum business. And Joe Biden made it very clear. One of my main missions is I'm getting down. rid of fossil. I'm going to shut people like the Saddlers down. Right. You know, and I'm thinking, well, how's that going to work? You know, and so, but he has proven to be incompetent, to put it mildly. Yeah. So who's running the country? You know, all his people
1: and the radical left that got him in there. And then they're the ones and the deep, you know, we use the word deep state. It's the in- entrenched bureaucrats that, is almost impossible to get rid of that is truly the power at the federal level we we're a little different here at the state level there's a lot more engagement of the legislature with the governor i think it's because we come down here for 60 days you know we have three branches of government it's it's still functioning and it's amazing because this is where democracy started the capitol building that thomas jefferson created and designed sitting on top of that hill looking south is the very building that started democracy. It's the it's the only building in the Western Hemisphere still operating in democracy. We still do it this way, but just an hour and a half north, I think our country is in trouble because the way they run that government is now bureaucracy-driven. It's the government services, the GS worker, and then it's the political people that they've embedded in those, in those agencies and stuff which are making it almost near impossible for the will, let's say if Donald Trump wins, and God, I hope he does, to, for him to exact an agenda. They will always push back on that agenda. They will always countermand you. I've had this just recently in, a, in, a, in an agency that I'm working with. I tell somebody to do something, they push back. They ignore you, even though you're at the top of the food chain saying, do this, please. Um, that's what you have there, and, and they're even trying to embed themselves even more to the point where if Donald Trump comes in, all you're going to see is him be, fighting with the government against whatever his will is and his agenda is. And that's if he gets elected, and I hope he does. But from here to now, or here to the election in November, what the hell's going to happen? I mean, it seems like the emotions are ramping up. It's very divisive. You've got an 83-year-old guy, or however many years he is, who can barely run this country. Somebody else is running it. You got a near 77, 78-year-old guy in and, and Trump. They hate each other. People are on one side or the other, you know, I'm seeing, you know, even in press releases, I saw Jen McClellan, who used to be in the Senate. She's a Congresswoman now endorsing Jen Boisco, who's a Senator running for the house. Oh, seven seat that Jennifer Wexton's not seeking re-election for. And, and I hate, you know, I love Jennifer Wexton, but she's got this super nuclear palsy that has really turned her. She's two years younger than me. And that's just an amazing, strong personality. And she came to our Senate floor and we paid tribute to her and, and got to tell her how much we, uh, how much, we thought about her transcending politics. But in the statement that McClellan made supporting Boisco, which I just read, she used mega, 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 mega extremism like four times. So everybody who's a conservative is no longer a conservative or a Republican. You're mega, 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 mega extremist. And when you when you separate yourselves that much, there is going to be a big chasm in the middle. So whoever wins, nobody's going to agree with it. Whoever loses. Going to think they're robbed. Uh, You've got these litigation, these lawsuits now where, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars assessed against Donald Trump. They're trying to bleed him dry for all the things that he did in the capitalistic free market society to try to keep him out because they're scared of him. They're using and weaponizing the judicial system. They've got control of the media. They got control of the education system at at the, uh, at the college level and above. They have all of these people who, who pontificate using science, according to them to prove their narrative and not be fair and open. And we are just heading towards, I think, a colossal show- showdown of what we're going to be, who are we as America, and what we're going to be in the future. If Joe Biden wins, it's over. I mean, this place is over. If Donald Trump wins, what are they going to do? Are they going to resist? Are we going to be able to make changes? I mean, I think we can finally close a border that's allowed, what, 8, 9, 10, 12 million? I mean, more population than like 16 of our states. They're going to try to get them to vote so they can be in the power forever, and it'll be one party rule. That's not democracy. That's not a republic. I am scared, and I don't know what's going to happen. If you, but remember- I'm telling you what, Donald Trump wins, and we can we can probably assure ourselves in the minority here in Virginia. And what's going to happen if Abigail Spanberger wins governor and they have control of both chambers? It's going to be a nightmare. So
2: I do fear. Wait a minute. What's you ahead say of us. you think if Trump wins that. Pushes us more to be Democrat. Democrat controlled here in yeah, Virginia. Well,
1: you know, I'm stuck for four years in, in a Democrat controlled Senate. Every two years, the House of Delegates has an election. So in two years, which will be at the same time, Governor Yunkin's exiting. We only allow him to serve one term. So the next race will be there. Spanberger's a popular client. She, uh, client. She's a candidate. She paints herself as a moderate. She's not. Um, she votes with Nancy Pelosi all the time. Do we have a spectacular candidate that can go up against her and beat her? Well, we better. We have a shot to, we have to win the House. I'm going to raise money just to help try to get the House back. And we have to win the governor's mansion. Otherwise, they're back to the time when Governor Northam and the House and the Senate were in Democrat control, especially during what I call George Floyd summer. And it was like a jewelry store smashing grab where they popped the top and they got as many jewels out of here and changed the, the dynamic of the state forever knowing that the chances of us having a Republican governor, a Republican Senate, Republican House uh, were minimal. So if Donald Trump gets elected, one would think that their hair's going to be on fire so much that the Northern Virginia people are going to come out in mass. It's going to be a big fight to see who controls Virginia. And you would probably say, because usually the, the governor of Virginia, his party is opposite who's sitting in the White House. Historically, it's been that, except for Terry McAuliffe when he was elected. So one would think that the chances are we're going to have a Democrat governor. The question is, will we have a Democrat or Republican controlled house? We need as Virginia to stop that, you know, that total control and have a Republican house in two years.
2: If you remember back months ago, you and I and Shep Moss did a podcast in at Ace Speedway. And on that podcast, we all gave our kind of crystal ball predictions. Yes. And I said I thought Nikki Haley would end up being the nominee. You did. But now that I know more about Nikki Haley than what I saw in the first couple debates, I'm not sure if she's quite as conservative as she started out making people to believe she was. My question to you is, I know you keep up with it at least a little bit while you're here in, in session, why is Nikki Haley still in the fight for the nominee, does, is she just doing it for attention? Or does she think that with all of these problems, that ultimately, even if it's the bottom of the ninth inning, that Donald Trump will not make it to the ballot?
1: So that's, that's a great question, and I think you posited it the, the right way. So I don't think it's for attention, although all politicians are egomaniacs in some way. They love except the adulation, you, except me.
2: yeah. I'm just plain old Bill. You've only got... Senator written on your shirt you got on over there. Uh, yeah, I didn't. I didn't ask for it, but I'm wearing it,
1: and it says Senator, and it's my Sadler Stanley Racing pullover. Um, so, so that's a little part of it. What I really think it is is because it's a foregone conclusion. But people are pumping money into her campaign, and they're paying the consultants, and they're paying the political operatives. So that is a money making machine for what really drives politics, which you know from your experience are political operatives, campaign managers, all this. You know, the people that do the ads and they do the handouts and the bumper stickers. It's kind of like the military-industrial co- po- complex for, for politics. Military-industrial complex needs to have a war. Otherwise, they're making bombs that don't get dropped. In politics, they need to have a conflict. Otherwise, the consultant doesn't get paid. The person that makes a bumper sticker doesn't get paid. The field people don't get paid. And that, you're talking a multi-million dollar industry. But what you're seeing is people are pumping money still into her campaign, so why not keep going? I think she's also got the Gavin Newsom kind of hope, which is something's going to happen to Trump, and it's been happening. You know, she's when, going to be the last person standing. And then all of a sudden, because she's the last person standing, she wins by default somehow. And so there's a reason to hang on. So that's what I see with her. Just in the same way Gavin Newsom says, well, you know what? <laughs> if Biden do you, do falls you think down Air Force One
2: stairs, I might be the nominee. Do you think ultimately it's going to be Trump versus Biden? Do you think both of them are going to make it to I, the, I do at this to the battle? And
1: I don't think I picked that. I think I
2: thought DeSantis and Desantis
1: and uh, and the other senator from, from I'm not South as sure
2: about Nikki Haley as as far as what kind of president she'll be because you know the longer people go you start to pick up little things about how they say them and what they say and right so I'm not sure um, but Trump has just got this cult following You're and I, look 20 years ago you correct me if I'm wrong but Trump was basically a Democrat he was a Democrat. And has openly supported and donated, in his words, millions and millions of dollars to Beautiful Democrats. Dollars. So, Wonderful why is he so very well accepted now? Because of what he did when he got elected? I or? Think, I think because he became a populist.
1: He's a populist. He spoke to people. He, listen, he was the only politician that actually went to the coal miner, to the person that works in the factories, to the farmer, to the rural area, and spoke their language he was willing to, and I think where you're seeing more of the loyalty than ever before is because he is taking hits from the government establishment. He is standing up, and he said, I am standing in the way and taking these, the, this fire so that you don't have to. They hate me, but they hate you more. And I'm just the symbol. And he's willing to take them, and he, fight, and he fights back, and he punches back. He speaks very simply in his language. I mean, this guy's a billionaire. You know, you'd think he'd be, you know, haughty totty He's not. People... People gather around that, and I think that's what you're seeing, why he's still popular. Plus, what you're really seeing, and I've talked to African-Americans, you're seeing it in the polling. African-American community on, on the majority part was wealthier, had more disposable income, things were better for them. Same with the Hispanic community, and they're seeing this. The easiest comparison is, hey, man, four years ago, we were rocking. I had money in my pocket. I had my my small business was growing. Crime was down. The interest Interest rates were were not on fire. Interest rates were lower. I could afford to buy a house. I could do all these things. I could buy groceries for my family. I didn't have to make decisions between, you know, buying medication or buying groceries or shoes for my kids. Things were better. And and there's a compare and contrast. And so you're seeing a lot. The lowest level of support in the African-American community, which makes up about 13% of the the electorate. Lowest support ever for Joe Biden. What, 65, 70% of them all say of everybody, says he's too old to lead. Most of those people say, man, it was better with, with Trump. Yeah, he's crazy and his mean tweets, and man, he can say stupid stuff, but we were better. And, 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 and most of all, in the country, not things were better, but in the world, we didn't have conflicts with Russia invading Ukraine. Didn't have Kim Jong-un firing missiles. We didn't have China threatening to take over Taiwan because I guess he was just crazy enough That the other world leader said, we don't want to mess with him because we don't know what's going to happen. Vladimir Putin was interviewed, I think it was by Tucker Carlson or somebody, and they asked him, who do you prefer as the president of the United States? And he said, I prefer Joe Biden. And they said, why? He said, because he's more predictable. What does that tell you? Yeah. The unpredictability of Trump keeps people in their spots in the world stage. His focus on making sure everybody has an opportunity to live the American dream like he did and to close our borders because we're flooded with people right now that you cannot, you cannot feed, you cannot house, and you're making them a priority. The Democrat Party is making them a priority over, let's say, our homeless people, our veterans, our African-American communities, our minorities, our, our poor. They're putting them ahead because they want them as votes. He removes all that. And people want to go back to the way it was four years ago, because it was pretty good, even though they might think he was pretty damn crazy. It was pretty good. And I think that's what ultimately is going to hurt Biden. And that's what probably I would have to bet, if I bet right now, put Trump in the White House
2: again. Who's, who's going to be the vice president?
1: Oh, that, that's, I don't know. I think he's going to like Vivek Ramaswamy only because he kisses his butt really well. But I mean, it would be something if he made Ron DeSantis or... Or one of those guys. I mean, and look, he's bold like that. Yeah. Um, he's got to make, he's got to make that vice presidential pick a bold pick. Um, but Nikki Haley, to your question, uh, is still hanging on because something may happen. He may be convicted. He, she may be by default this way. I've talked to my clients, African-American clients, my criminal offense clients, whatever they are. Can he run if he they can They are convicted? mad because, and they've, he's gotten credibility because he's getting treated by the government as they feel they've been treated. So when he gets charged with a crime, they identify with him, and they identify the struggle that he's having, even though it's rich people problems comparatively.
2: What could they do it's to amazing. him legally, like if he gets convicted, or what? What could actually keep him off the ballot?
1: Nothing. Nothing in the in the nothing in the Constitution. You have to be 35 years old and then an American citizen, naturally born. That means born here. Uh, those are two requirements it doesn't say, and not convicted of a felony or not under indictment or not got a $300 million, you know, judgment against you. And you see everything, everything looks like a Democrat, you know, whether it's Fannie Willis having an affair with the lead prosecutor, she pays $650 650000 so they can go on expensive trips and she's prosecuting him. Letitia James and her civil uh, lawsuit where she just got $300 million, a friggin' uh, allegation of a rape case. Uh, where the woman says, I can't remember the date, the time, or the place, you know, and she gets 85 billion. Everybody sees this as a raw political move with nothing but political ramifications. And you know what? People have, people know what it's like when the government, the man comes after you and it only seems to make him stronger. I think it makes him more popular. I've watched his poll numbers rise. You and I had that conversation in the car there at that racetrack about this. And I said, we may find ourselves at this point in time. We were talking about that last year, that people have got fatigue, Trump fatigue, and and they're getting beaten down by all this stuff. It's only made him stronger. It's like he campaigns in a courtroom and that's where he's finding more more support.
2: It almost in a strange way kind of humanizes him more than He's relatable. You're relatable,
1: yeah. You know how many people have the government trying to take your money or charge you taxes, you know, back taxes, the IRS comes after you. How many people are are, you know, the man uh, you know Invades your private space, says you're not entitled to something that you worked hard for. Tries to take your liberty and freedom away. That's an identifiable thing, and we are a country of redemption too. So, so when the government comes after you, uh, we seem to actually kind of you know respond to that. And especially in the communities that Biden needs the support, and so you know if Biden starts if that support erodes because they have sympathy because they've gone through the same things that Donald Trump is, Biden is doomed. And I think what you're seeing right now because now it's open season with the press. They're starting to attack uh, Joe Biden. I think the Democrats want Joe Biden to to go away because I think they're more worried than ever that Donald Trump's going to win.
2: Uh, are we going to have any chance, any opportunity to talk about racing on this podcast? Yeah. yeah. So what
1: we'll do, let's let's take a break. Cause we got a race coming up next uh, week. We do. And we got a lot of things to talk about. And I always love talking with you that we, and everybody should know, and this is powered by pay We're so appreciative of this and, so when Hermy and I sit down, we haven't talked in a week. And so there's a lot that on our minds, if we haven't talked about on the phone, I, I think I think we shouldn't talk between the last episode, and the next episode, because then we get these kind of conversations going, which are natural. So we're going to take a break. Uh, let's listen. If you would listen to our sponsors. And then when we come back, let's talk racing. Let's talk about what we're doing in the Sadler Stanley racing team. Yeah. Uh, might talk a little more politics. see kind of the crazy stuff that's going on in the General Assembly. And we'll end on that. How's that?
2: That sounds great.
1: All right. Everybody stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages.
2: Hi folks, this is Hermie Sadler. Thanks for listening to our all new podcast, Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator. I hope you are enjoying the show as much as Senator Stanley and I enjoy bringing it to you. Whether you're a family traveling together or a truck driver hauling freight up and down the highway, I hope you will take the time to visit one of our Sadler Travel Plaza locations in Virginia and North Carolina. Sadler Travel Plaza locations are licensed dealer locations for pallet travel centers. And we also carry Shell Motiva Petroleum products for our four-wheel friends. We pride ourselves on providing one-stop shopping for service, food, and entertainment. Our food options include Five Guys Burgers and Fries, Quiznos, Dairy Queen, Hermie Sadler's Faux Show Bar and Grill, Victory Lane Restaurant, Hunt Brothers Pizza, Dunkin' Donuts, and much, much more. Our locations include Sadler Travel Plaza in South Hill, located off I-85 at exit 12, the Sadler Travel Plaza of Emporia, which is conveniently located on exit 11B off I-95, and Sadler Travel Plaza on Highway 58 in Suffolk. We also have our North Carolina location, Sadler Travel Plaza in Dunn, North Carolina, that's exit 75 off I 95. We appreciate all of our customers, and Bill and I appreciate you listening to Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator, powered by Pacematic.
1: Hey, this is Bill Stanley, Hermes Sadler's sidekick on this podcast. When I'm not in Richmond at the Capitol or doing this podcast, my real job for the past 27 years is as a trial attorney with the Stanley Law Group. Here at the Stanley Law Group, we represent our clients in every courthouse in the Commonwealth. No problem is too small for us to solve. No case is too big for us to win. Whether it's criminal charges, traffic offenses, civil disputes, litigation matters of any sort, we handle it all. We make sure that we treat every client like family because they are to us. Your problem is our problem. Your success is our success because we hate to lose more than we love to win. And believe me, we win a lot. Don't believe me? Go ask Hermy I'm his favorite lawyer, and he hates lawyers. So give us a call at 540-721-6028 and let us help you. Or visit our website at www.vastanleylawgroup.com. That's www.vastanleylawgroup.com. At the Stanley Law Group, we'll make sure we're the lawyers that you swear by, and not at. And we're back. I'm Virginia State Senator Bill Stanley still leaning right in a sea of left here in the Commonwealth of Virginia.
2: I'm Hermie Sadler. This is Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler in the Senator, powered by paceomatic Now, everybody knows we want them to stop by Sadler Travel Plaza. And if you get in any kind of legal trouble <laughs> uh, here in the Commonwealth of Virginia, we want you to call the Stanley Law Group. That's exactly right. You know, so yeah, but don't do it.
1: Don't get in trouble at Sadler Travel Plaza. Oh, <laughs> sure, do it. Do somewhere it. else. Yeah. Oh, do, you it. do it oh,
2: right okay. there. All right. Yeah. Well, that's fine. You know um, what they say? Any publicity is good publicity. <laughs> well, that would be <laughs> certainly interesting and different. You could probably make a lot of money, Bill, if you just sent somebody to hang out at the Sadler Travel Plaza. Just send an associate there just to hang out.
1: You know, you may remember and we talked about it, we were on a conference call with our race team one time, and I'd parked at one of your places, I think it was in South Hill. Yeah, South Hill. And uh, and a car pulls up, kind of a shady-looking car, and it caught fire right at the gas station. Yeah, only you. Box. And rather than disrupt your conversation that we have, and I was on Zoom in my car, I just moved my car around back just in case there was an explosion. Let
2: me, let me move away from
1: the fire. Yeah, exactly. but. So before we start talking about racing, which is something we love, and here comes the race season in, in both the Smart Series, the Southern Modified Auto Racing uh, Team Series, and the Wheeling Series, we've got we've already uh, told you all about our great new drivers we got coming, a bunch of young talent, and Bobby Labonte. Um, I just wanted to kind of show you a little bit about what we're doing here. Just talk about a couple uh, bills that we're seeing. And this is with a Democrat majority, and this is why you have – Governor Yunkin who's going to need a box of pens to veto all this legislation that's coming through gun stuff. You know, And one of the bills uh, I pulled uh, just for everybody was to to listen to and how silly it is, is we have actually um, a couple bills. One's from Delegate Sia Price that wants the uh, in the public school education to talk to kids. That's uh, House Bill 603, uh, that they need to educate kids on general themes of social and emotional learning. You know what that means, self awareness. You know what that means. That's trans in the kids, and and mental health issues, which I think is trans in the kids. And so now we're we're getting the public schools into those kind of areas where they're going to dominate the conversation when it comes to uh, transitioning kids and those kind of things. That's one of the silly bills that you got to look for. But even if it gets out of the House and Senate, it's going to be obviously vetoed by Governor Youngkin. That's why he's there. He's the doorstop. He is the backstop to make sure that the ball doesn't roll into the street and hurt somebody. One of the bills that I thought was most interesting, Glenn Sturdivant, uh, reelected. He's back. Good guy. Very conservative now. Uh, Has Senate Bill 384, which passed out of the Senate, which was strengthening our human smuggling and trafficking laws. Basically making in the criminal code, and i'll read it as quickly as i can any person who with the intent to obtain a pecuniary benefit a monetary benefit knowingly and with the intent to evade immigration laws of the united states uses a motor vehicle aircraft watercraft other means of conveyance to transport another person this is human trafficking in and through the commonwealth and knows or should have known that the person is being transported is likely to be exploited for financial gain of another is guilty of human smuggling he offers this bill because it strengthens our laws which right now our human trafficking laws the prosecutor has to prove that it was with the intent of prostitution you have to prove the prostitution you have to or forced labor and i had a bill actually that said we wouldn't buy any electric vehicles from any country or, or from any manufacturer that used cobalt from a country that used forced labor child labor to obtain it democrats shot that down in this one it says basically if somebody comes in violating the immigration laws of the united States with somebody, a young person, a man or a woman, with the intent to traffic them, then that's a Class 6 felony. And if they do so with a firearm, it becomes a Class 3 felony, which is a lot of time, trying to shut down and punish human trafficking, giving a tool in the toolbox to our prosecutors. You would think that's a common sense bill that everybody could get around, right? You would think. You would think, but not so fast, anybody. Uh, It wasn't because of Glenn Sturdivant. The Democrats viewed this as an anti-illegal immigration law which I don't call you know, illegal immigrants. You can't say illegal anymore. I call them undocumented Democrats. But so you would think that we're trying to protect children and we're trying to protect people from forced labor and sexual exploitation. Glenn stands up in the House of Delegates and he makes this, he makes this speech, a very good common sense speech of what his bill is. I want you to listen to it. Sounds like everybody should vote for this. And I'll tell you what happens after he makes this presentation.
3: And the uh, next bill is uh, Sturtevant's uh, 384. Senator Sturdivant. Thank you uh, very much, Madam Chair. Members of the committee, Senate Bill 384 is a bill to um, try to help deal with the scourge of human trafficking. One of the challenges that we have in Virginia is our anti-human trafficking laws require prosecutors to prove either that the human trafficking is being done for the purposes of forced labor, it's being done for the purposes of prostitution Um, and oftentimes proving that prostitution ring or proving the forced labor that people are not being paid or being underpaid uh, can be difficult and expensive and challenging to prove and so what this bill seeks to do is to help close that loophole and would prohibit human trafficking in the context of if the human trafficker uh, reasonably believes the person is to be subject to, to uh, be exploited for the financial gain of another, um, and so we're giving prosecutors another another tool to go after uh, human trafficking, and and that's essentially what the bill does. And it increases the penalty if the if the human trafficker is trafficking a child or is using a firearm in the commission of that offense.
1: Sounds pretty commonsensical, doesn't it? Sounds like you're trying to protect kids. Let me kids. guess.
2: It, it passed 40 to nothing. Oh,
1: it was close. It was close. Actually, it never made it out of committee. Because So the, what
2: committee was he talking in front of there? He's talking to the
1: committee uh, on, uh, on courts, courts of justice. Mm-hmm. And, and so in that committee, of course, we determine criminal laws, criminal penalties. That's the same committee that's been passing ridiculous gun control laws, shot
2: down fentanyl as being- Is that The one that the people- couple weeks ago come up and make a a uh, speak to, you know on legislation to take people's rights away when it comes to the second amendment but then they started later in the day saying we're not taking any questions correct and it's the
1: same <laughs> committee uh tragically that in what they call the second chance law which gives a second look mm-hmm. to people convicted of murder and mm-hmm. the most heinous crimes when the victims' uh, families came up who had suffered from these things of criminals who were serving time. Don't
2: want to hear from them.
1: And who would have gotten a net, you know, who, who might get a second chance from this. When the victims' families st- stood up, this very committee shut them down yeah. and was kind of rude to them, even to where Attorney General Miari said, hey, man, I'm sorry that happened. And he met with them. That's just not right and fair. I mean, when I was chairman of the local government committee, if you want to come talk to us, come talk to us. It's the people's business. It's the people's yeah. house. And that's where we get better perspectives and make better decisions instead of rushing through an agenda Mm -hmm. without considering all of the ramifications and consequences. So what happened to vote? So before we got to the vote, of course, now the Democrats take attack. They see this as an anti-immigration, anti-illegal immigration law that we're punishing the people coming over the border in our poorest border that Biden has opened the door and millions and millions have come over here. And you know, I got to tell you, do you see who's coming over here? Military aged men, single men from all these countries that want to do us harm. You think they want to come over here and, and live a great life? I fear that these undocumented uh, illegal immigrants... They might have some, a, little, a little something cooking. Exactly. Yeah. And, we are letting in, and we're letting in terrorists, people that are on the watch list, people that have been convicted of crimes, the worst dregs of some of these countries that have been convicted of pedophilia and rape and murder. And we're having to chase them down because they just kind of slip into the interior of the country and they're gone. Well, guess what? Suddenly, the Democrats care about the laws... And think that maybe Glenn's bill is a bad bill because it goes against federal law. Listen to this.
0: Delegate Hernandez.
3: I was just going to make a comment about the bill. Mm -hmm. Um, So I uh, understand sort of the the concern about human trafficking. I think we're all very concerned about that. Um, I just want to say I'll be voting no on this bill in part because of concerns of federal preemption. Um, You know, to the extent that we're trying to create state criminal penalties for perceived violations of federal immigration law, which is... You know federal immigration law is supreme uh, so i just worry about the preemption issues there thank
1: you i mean now they care about immigration law the democrats can uh, you believe it? unbelievable i mean think about it this way so they're saying federal preemption because there's a federal law against immigration well there's a federal law against drug trafficking there's a federal law against rape and murder but guess what there are state laws about that so their argument is hollow they just don't want to actually stand up and protect our children protect children coming across a border or, or women that are being trafficked. They're, they're, they're actually encouraging the criminal. They, they're unwilling to, we wanted to say that if you supply fentanyl to somebody and you kill them, that you should be charged with murder. Well, guess where fentanyl's coming from. Chinese press the pills. They bring it across the Southern porous border. They're distributing them. And we're seeing more deaths from fentanyl than we ever see from a handgun. Yeah. And know what they don't want to do anything to protect America. And this is not, so, so this shows on a national level what they're doing. But now on a state level, they're following suit. The Democrats are following suit. The bill died on party lines, shockingly. And now there's another year where people that are coming over here and being exploited, brought over the border by people that intend to break federal law, but then commit a crime here in Virginia. Nope, that's federal preemption, where the feds don't even enforce their own damn laws. And this is the stance that the Democrats have taken. It's shameful.
2: That's another thing that I think is worth at least taking a couple minutes to speak about because when things like this come up, you know, the, the, one of the first things people say is elections have consequences. Elections matter. And you mentioned the committee. You say this bill failed this committee on party lines. So I would assume that the Democrats have a majority in this committee.
1: Oh, they do. And it's a lopsided.
2: So is that based upon because they have majority?
1: Yes. So that's a whole nother majority in the whole house. Yeah. Majority in the whole house, but it's 51 49, not like 60 40,
2: but that goes back to, you know, when conservatives and Republicans don't show up and they don't vote, it may be a Republican that lost on the whole other side of the state away from you. But because the way these committees can be set up based upon the majority in the house for the, or, and or the Senate, if the other party has control, you still are going to bear the consequences of that. Not only people just look at the majority and say, you know, but these committees are huge. And
1: think about it this way in our courts committee in the Senate, we're 2119, but the courts committee is nine to six. 9 Democrats 6 got no shot Republicans. percentage wise does not reflect got no shot. the 21-19 and so you really don't unless and you and, and one of the democrats could cross over and make it 8 to 7 yeah two can get you a victory but that just but gives they walk them
2: that just gives the other party in this case the democrats a way that once in a while somebody can take one for the team or do something with no concept. It doesn't, it doesn't matter.
1: But they don't, yeah, exactly. And, and it doesn't change the outcome. Doesn't change it the up. outcome. I yeah. mean, we, we almost mock it when, when bad bills come up and all of a sudden it's twenty one nineteen on the floor. Oh, man, we're so close. And, it's a, it, you know, and it really doesn't reflect what Virginia is. And we're watching bad bills go by and go to the governor's desk, which he's going he's gonna to veto. One of those bills, another one is House Bill 1454, Delegate Lopez from Northern Virginia actually wants to give illegal immigrants licenses, driver's licenses, real ID credentials in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Now, if you apply the preeminence, the preemptory language of the Democrat who fought against Sturdivant's bill, then this shouldn't happen because they're illegal immigrants. They're not entitled to drive. They're not entitled to the rights and privileges of these United States, according to federal law. But yet, let's give them a driver's license and a real ID, which would allow them to travel you know, through airports and fly around and do whatever they wanted to do. So, you know, these are the bills that are going to go to the governor. And thank God we got Glenn Youngkin. But that's just one example, a couple example, of what we're dealing with here. And and that's a small sample of what is happening on a larger scale. And the Democrats are really good at walking in lockstep and passing this crazy stuff. What would happen if we have a Democrat governor, Democrat House and Senate? So in two years, that election is going to be really, really important. Not this, just this year. With the presidential election, but in Virginia, are we going to allow this crazy stuff to happen? Because we're going to turn ourselves into California on the East Coast if they have their way. They want Reggie. They want, you know, regional greenhouse gas initiative. They want us to, to, you know, to allow people who are dead to vote. I mean, it it goes on and on and on. So Virginia's going to have to have a wake-up call. Even if Donald Trump wins, we don't want these things to become law. We're lucky that Youngkin's here to stop it. So that's my rant on, on Virginia politics right now with the last two or three weeks to go. And, uh, and I'll stop there, but I I mean, it's hard. The older I get, um, the last the less rational we become here in Virginia. So,
2: well, you know, people need to pay attention. I mean, people, people need to pay attention as to what's going on and all you can do, like you say, with what y'all are doing, even Sometimes you have to speak out and try to make points about legislation that you know is going to be bad. Even though if you know you're going to lose the vote, you still have to, you hope somebody's listening sometimes.
1: Well, and they want us to give in. They want us to just go along with them. Why, come on, guys. Why don't you vote for this stuff? And we're like, are you kidding me? It's, it's, you know, even if you were trying to, you know, there's occasion where you can find some consensus. There's a new, there's a new uh, law that's coming out that actually I like, which is the creation, actually reestablishment of the Autism Advisory Council. Uh, which is Democrats, Pekarski, Senator Pekarski, Carol Foy, Eben Perry, and Williams Graves. We talked about the things we want to do for uh, for special needs students. I don't think we're doing enough, especially in the public sphere. Now, what they always think is, let's create a council. Uh, and the council is, is an advisory council to kind of help the government to promote coordination of services between the government and the public schools and the localities. I like what they did here uh, and, and see, these are, these are bills that we can agree to 25 member council, but what you've got are, you know, you've got some members of the house and Senate, uh, two are representative of autism advocacy organizations, two are parents of children with children with autism, uh, and two shall be persons with autism spectrum disorder, clin- clinicians in the field of autism, licensed behavioral analysis. I mean, so, so maybe, you know, in a, in a team of 25, we can actually have something that makes really solid recommendations to the state on how to, to better serve the autism community and their parents and their families. This is a good bill. Yeah. If we would focus on this stuff, which we know both sides can agree on, and the governor's not going to veto, we get a lot done for Virginia. But we've spent a lot of time on 25, 30 gun bills that are ridiculous. We spend a lot of time shooting down good bills that protect our citizens and even the illegal immigrants that come in here that are trying to be exploited. They, they go into their partisan liberal left side. Oh, it's immigration. It's, it's, you're trying to make you know, people into criminals. No, these are the people bringing fentanyl. These are the gangs. These are the coyotes that are bringing people over here. These are the criminals that are infiltrating our society and making it worse and killing our people. We try to do something about it in Virginia. Nope. Mm-mm. Got to keep the border open. This is, this is racism, I guess, against immigrants with fentanyl or immigrants with children that they want to exploit in prostitution. It just
2: makes no sense. People need to pay attention.
1: Yeah, so let's get on some happy stuff, man. Let's let's talk in the last segment here about Sadler Stanley racing. We're firing back up, baby. Man, we've got the 2024 season coming up, what, in a week? Yeah. So, in the week, we've so got. So, as we're
2: sitting here right now, this is Thursday night, and our first race is a week from Saturday Florence Motor Speedway. Yep. And so, gates open at 8 15, practice begins
1: at 11. Pacematic qualifying at 1, Pacematic pit party at 2, racing begins at 3. You can see it live at Flow Racing, or you can mm-hmm. drive down to Florence, South Carolina.
2: Florence, South Carolina. You can see it
1: right there in a historic state. I was
2: there yesterday.
1: So tell me about this. I mean, I, I saw pictures on the internet. You yeah. told me you were going down there. Yeah. So we've got our new team. Yeah. We've got Jonathan Cash, who ran for us a, a number of races where- a handful. Uh, yep. Where Ryan Newman didn't. He's, He's kind of- the veteran of the group name. Right. He's our permanent driver. We yeah. got Bobby running four or five races, six races, maybe more. He's
2: going to run five smart races and then all the tour races and, we're in. And again. he's
1: doing that because he's got some opportunities in NASCAR, which are mm-hmm. popping up that he has to take. I yeah, mean, yeah. We're yeah, very happy yeah. for him, but he's still with the team. Yeah. And then we got Luke Baldwin, who we talked to 17 last time. year old rookie from the Baldwin family,
2: the legendary Baldwin family. Um, Legends of modified racing. Talk about his dad. I mean, what what
1: has his dad accomplished in NASCAR and racing and modifieds?
2: He won a Daytona 500 as a crew chief for Ward Burden.
1: For a Virginian.
2: Yeah. And, you know, he's owned. He's just uh, his credentials speak for itself. But I like him for a number of reasons, but one of which Tommy is always one. He's a scrapper. He's a fighter. He's always... You know, in his days of owning his own team, he's always, you know, kind of like we've done in our lawsuit, yeah. fighting the big guys. You know, he's and he's uh, very smart. He knows how to build a car uh, from one bolt all the way to completion. And he's raised uh, a couple great kids. Older son Jack, uh, who also races. Um, the younger son Luke, who now uh, is is driving for Sadler Stanley Racing in the Smart Modified Tour. How old is he again? Seventeen. Dang, seventeen. Wow. So this first time running a tour type modified. He's done six oh
1: twos, which is 602s, the lesser series he's done lesser some late horsepower. model racing,
2: things of that nature. And
1: really has the racing, you know, bug. Yeah.
2: And and you get and you get and you get his dad. Right? Yeah. I mean yeah. it's a package deal. So yesterday, uh, which would have been on a Wednesday, you know, we went down you can't by smart rules, you can't test at the track you're gonna race on the week of the race. So we had to test this week. Uh, to get the test in by the rules. And we had originally planned to test tomorrow, which would have been Friday. Mm-hmm. But they're calling for some weather coming up the coast.
1: Rain has really been killing the racing season. Yeah, yeah. So
2: we decided to go yesterday being Wednesday. And so, uh, and basically we took two cars. Um, Luke kind of assumed Bobby Labani's car that he drove in the Smart Series. And one with? one with it twice. Nice. So basically what we did in layman's terms, we... Bobby finished about fifth at Florence last year. Mm -hmm. Good, but not great. But we wanted to go back something with Luke, first time driving a Tour Type Modified. At Florence, we wanted to go back with something that we know was close. So basically, we took Luke back with Bobby's setup from last year. So basically put everything back the way it was. Now, with Jonathan— And I guess that's new for him, right? I mean, he's not used to that setup. Well, he's not used to the car, the tire— yeah. track nothing yeah so we, we want to we were eliminating variables we wanted him just to focus on getting used to the track and for the and for the listener including my
1: wife and my my mother who listen to this when you go and test tell us exactly what that kind of procedure is i mean you're, you're doing so many different things you have so many goals out in front of you explain to us well exactly that's what i was just getting ready to
2: these. get to i'll get jonathan was kind of the we built a brand new car for Jonathan. Uh, you know, Bobby, unfortunately had a crash at motor mile last year and it destroyed one of our cars, front and rear clip. So we had to build a completely new car to take the place of, um, of the car that was crashed. So that's a hundred grand out of your pocket bill. Don't let that, don't Uh, don't worry about that. Itching and burning. (laughs) Uh, but so grand. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, Mm. but this is such a profitable <laughs> yeah. endeavor. If you want uh, to, what's the old saying? If you want to build a small fortune in racing, start with a big one. <laughs> um, but, so start ba- with 10, end up so with 1. So basically, I'll go to Jonathan then go back to Luke. But Jonathan, we built a brand new car. And through the winter months, Phil Stefanelli and Tommy Baldwin and I got together and talked about some new technology and some new parts and pieces that we want it to test to try that you know we think it'll work but will it actually work on the racetrack i won't get into too much all detail too i mean oh, this yeah, is not yeah, yeah. yeah no no it's all mm-hmm. and it, it basically boils down to driver feel you know some drivers are more aggressive on throttle some drivers are more aggressive into the corner for instance last year bobby labani and ryan newman always ran different setups because Ryan would really stuff the car into the corner. I mean, really drive it way deep in the corner. Bobby would always let off early and float into the corner, Mm -hmm. you know, and then different driving styles. Both of them work. Ryan ran great. He did. Bobby won two of the last three races. He did. So, you know, both of them will work. You have to just put the right package together. So with Jonathan, you know, we had a new car and we wanted to run through these and how you test these things, Bill, is. We call it ABA. So you go, you have to go run, say, a eight or 10 lap run. That's A. Then you come in and change and put the new piece on that you want to try. Go run 10 laps. That's B. Then you take that piece back off and put the original piece back on, go back out and run 10 more laps. That's A again. So why do you do that? To triple verify whether it was a gain or not. Got you it. can't. You know, okay. you, just, you know, you can't just, sense. you know, you can't just put a piece on there and go. Now, a lot of it, we, we rely, that's why we got Jonathan. He's got a lot of, you know, people don't really know his name that much, but he's got a lot of short track racing experience, not necessarily in a modified, but he's run late models and street stocks and stuff. and He's got a good feel for a short track. So we wanted him to go through all of our new components that we wanted to test and see what would work. And look, we found some stuff that worked, some stuff didn't. We tried one piece that I'll go ahead on record and say that I thought would would really be a good good piece for us, and it made the car too loose on entry. Hmm. So we took that back off. Um, But with Luke, he is brand new, and he's never driven a Tour-type modified with the wide tires, with the big motor. Uh, never been to Florence. All so these it's, it, it's a
1: significant difference, even though he's been running open wheel. Sure. Mr. the powered C- tires, C- Crate series. the
2: way, you know, the way the cars drive. Right. So basically in a nutshell, we wanted Luke to just go, to be able to go ride, just go make laps. So he's getting
1: the feel for the car at the same time. Right. You're trying to figure out where we can get more. Right. Speed.
2: So we worked on cash. To, where can we get more speed? We worked on Luke. Hey, we know this setup. We know this car is good. And we know this setup is close, so just go drive it, go figure out how to drive this setup and so Luke made many more laps than Jonathan did simply because we were constantly changing we Jonathan ABA. go around ten laps, jack it up, take that off, put this on, rescale it, set it up, go back out, come back in, jack it back up, you know and and that takes time to. To Change all those things, and so
1: you got Stefanelli and Neil
2: Cantor out there. Doing Everybody all had the whole crew. Oh, wow! Yeah, we had the whole crew. Okay, we it was a very protective day, not only for Florence, but I believe you know for down the line too, because we can't sit on where we had what we had last year. No. We got to
1: get better, and we're also starting over in a way.
2: We're starting over in a way with our drivers, and the smart series is going to have another probably five or six cars minimum coming down from the north? Cuz didn't they change but,
1: the engine or the carburetor or They
2: opened up the engine rules to basically allow more engine more people the opportunity to race. Uh,
1: explain that. What's that mean?
2: Well, so we have spec engines. Spec engines uh we bought from Robert Yates Racing when we first started. Yep. About 50 grand a pop. Yep. Um
1: you got my wallet itching and burning. Yeah,
2: again. yeah. And so that's what really what the majority of the people run. It's a good engine. Uh, it's r- durable, reliable. But what I just tell you, it's $50,000 to get a top-level spec engine. Well, I think what Chris Williams and the Smart Modified Tour people are trying to do, at least in the off-season, is how can we open the door to get more teams? You know, we, want, we want more cars. We want more teams. So basically in layman's terms they have decided to go back and allow people to run say a built engine, a blueprinted built engine as opposed to a spec engine uh, because there are more of those engines laying around and more people have access to them and so then for, for that engine you it is this different set of carburetor rules because that you need, you need a you know maybe a different carburetor different carburetor allowances and tolerances to let this built engine, this may be a $20,000 engine, make the same amount of horsepower as a $50,000 engine. So they're kind of trying to level the playing field with say, putting a better carburetor on a cheaper engine to run with the guys that have the more expensive engines, if that makes sense. So, but for us, we feel like, Maybe a built engine with the torque and horsepower combination of that with a different carburetor might be a better scenario for us to run, even though we've got the $50,000 spec engines. So, I don't like... So, what, you had to change everything. I don't time. like what the Smart Tour did yeah. because it doesn't fit us, but I understand it because it opens, the door, because for more it opens the door for more people that don't have... More homegrown guys. Spot, more, and really and truly... That's really what this series is supposed to be about. And so, that's what we've been doing was so trying to bring more attention to the series and to. So I don't racing like local it, but I've tracks. not, I've not complained about it or advocated against it because I understand, it. you know, Chris Williams. what we've got to do <laughs> with our team, you know, for us, we've got the expensive engines, but we've got to make sure that we're not giving up something. If they're going to take a different type engine and let somebody run a, let's just say a bigger carburetor, or a different booster package that's going to be better than ours, we've got to find that out, right? So what we had to do is go spend more money to build and rebuild engines and get carburetors and parts and pieces together mm. to, to test both. Right. to see which you know, Some isn't people that, isn't only that kind have of like a,
1: starting over in a way.
2: Well, it, it, we just got to make sure when we show up next Saturday at Florence, yeah. whether we win or finish last. My job is to, for not only for you, but for our drivers and our team and for Pacematic, my job is to do everything that I can to give our two drivers the best chance to compete and win. And I don't know that unless we f- go down in every rabbit hole that there is to make sure that we're not giving up something mm-hmm. motor wise or performance wise because there have been a significant amount of rule changes as it relates to engines and carburetors and things of that nature that we've just got to make sure.
1: So yeah. you're trying to stay ahead of got where to. we are. And we've got two new drivers. Well, one one that's been with us and yeah. one that's moving up. But, you know, still got Bobby. from
2: Jonathan going to a part-time to a full-time, that's a completely different responsibility.
1: Yeah. He's you excited know. about it, I bet.
2: He's great. And Luke was great, you know. And, and you know,
1: when he, when he drove, even in replacement of, of Ryan, Man, he was aggressive. We loved watching him on the yeah. track. He is so yeah. smart and aggressive and a, and, a, and a good driver. I mean, he's going to be really good for us. We're not just putting these guys in to start over. It sounds like we're we're running for a championship. Sure we are. And sure we are. as much as we can get sure we maybe are. an owner's cha- championship and a regular championship for the driver, uh, we're still on the front page.
2: And look, you know, in, in years past, we've not always gotten off to the best of starts. So we've got to get off to a better start this year. And yeah. You know, um, you know, last year we hit our stride when the season was ending. So this year <laughs> After that big
1: talk you had. Yeah. The, you know, when you know, I when the car caught fire at your gas station when I was listening yeah. on Zoom.
2: But you know, we a lot a lot came from that. It the did. midpoint of last year, you and I talked about it. I can talk about it more now, uh, because I didn't want to talk about it at the time. But I made a decision with your blessing. You know, we basically changed a lot of the components on Bobby's car. Oh, yeah. Because we felt like he needed something else, and we didn't even tell Bobby in the beginning that we had changed all that's that. That's Right, actually, that's right. He showed up, and you know, all of a sudden, well, oh, damn, he's better, <laughs> you know. And so, it, it it never was that Bobby couldn't drive. It was we got to give him what makes him comfortable in these cars. So that's that's what my job is. Just you know, I don't like the fact that we've had to spend a bunch of extra money on stuff that we can't. We, I mean, I can only run. One motor at a time. Right. But we have to figure out what's best for us. Yeah. And, 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 and dot every I and cross every T. You know, the, the good thing is PaceMatic gives us the funding and the resources to be able to do that. So, but I- And they really
1: have supported small track racing. Sure. The series, yeah. our race team. We've been able to get the message out about uh, skill games and yep. why they should be a part of these communities. Mm. Why they help our small businesses. Yeah why they actually let Virginia participate in the gaming marketplace that is now reserved primarily for monopolistic companies from Vegas and Chicago and Kentucky. And so it's really kind of come together. This is what you and I talked about doing in the very beginning when I talked you into that, to run that race. And, and when we got the injunction, when we started this podcast, this seems to be exactly what we talked about in the beginning. We didn't, when you and I talked about a race team, we talked about maybe one driver. We had Jonathan Brown, great yeah. guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we went to another level. We got Bobby Labonte and Ryan Newman for some races and Jonathan Cash. We went to two cars. Now we're staying at two cars, but we're we're engaging new young drivers, giving them chances. This is what you used to always talk about yeah. that we should be
2: doing this because it well, was this for is, a purpose. This not is what Pace We're not does. making money. We love winning. We're competitive. This is what but our we sponsor does. A to our do sponsor it. supports the little guy. Right. Our sponsor supports grassroots. So. <laughs> Our team now, you know, even with Bobby Labonte still with us, our when you take a, a blue collar guy like Jonathan Cash, who is who has scratched and clawed for every opportunity he's ever had, this is the best opportunity in racing he's ever had.
1: And he owns a car shop,
2: uh, go kart shop. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so he's he in the racing. Shop. He helps kids, but he's never had a p- opportunity like this. Mm. So, and then you take that, then you take Luke Baldwin, seventeen years old, and you and I talked about it.
1: You know, Add know, Adam on the show. You can go back and, we, and listen to our let's library. Create, let's, let's, let's
2: create our own star. Yeah, let's be a part of giving somebody an opportunity that hopefully five years from now he's on the big stage, whether it be in the Truck Series or the Xfinity Series or maybe the Cup Series, and we can say, "Hey, this guy started with Sadler Stanley Racing." Yeah, and then we still throw in the, you know, the legend, the Hall of Fame flair with Bobby Labonte, and so we got the best of both worlds. But it only Matters if our cars perform. And so, uh, I, I look, I know there are going to be some growing pains. Sure. There are different moves. Uh, Luke was down in Smyrna
1: during Speed Weeks and yeah. he, he wadded up his equipment yeah. a little bit there. Yeah. I mean, yeah.
2: that, and that's running for his dad's. He also finished second in a race. Yeah. Now, so. is
1: his dad's, you know, Baldwin Racing, are they going to participate in the Smart Series? Or? They're running
2: the tour races with Doug Kobe. Okay. But yeah. not Smart.
1: Yeah. Not that, okay. not that I'm aware. So Baldwin's presence in. Racing at the Smart Series is through our team.
2: Well, I mean, I, I wouldn't mind if no, Tommy ran in the Smart either. Series, I but hear. I, but he's been very instrumental behind the scenes and in, in us creating uh, our plans and moving forward in our what we're trying to accomplish.
1: And he's come out of his cancer treatment; he's stronger. Yeah, he he's beaten it. Yeah. Like you know, when we talked to him the last time, and and what a what a thrill! And you can go back in our library and see this one talking to Tommy Baldwin. And that's when he had just gotten the diagnosis. We yeah. talked a very very candid conversation with him. And I told him, man, cancer doesn't have a chance with you. I mean, they, they messed with the wrong man. And now he's a part of our team. That's really exciting. I mean, you get a twofer there. You get Luke and watch him grow. And the dad who gets to watch his son and also participate maybe in, in how we run this this uh, And our
2: uh, our numbers, you know, with Luke Baldwin, of course, we're running the legendary seven that the Baldwin family has always run. The 7NY. Uh, but it's set now with 7VA. Which we ran in tribute to him, what, at Martinsville? At Martinsville. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'd be a 7VA. With Bobby. With uh, Bobby. But, but this one, so Luke's number is 7VA. Okay. With the font of the famous Baldwin name that we've seen on track, you know, over the years. And then uh, Jonathan Cash will be the 16VA. Not the Sadler 16. The Elliott and Hermie Sadlers. 16 VA from oh, man, that's the awesome. Virginia Short Tracks back before, you know. The
1: Sadler 16 is you know, back in the late
2: back. 50s, early 60s. The Sadler
1: 16 is going to run around South Boston, and that's another race that's coming up, but you're going to be running Virginia Tracks with the Sadler Colors 16. the Sadler 16 yep. VA. Yep. Now, and, and that brings me to the point where we've got, right after session ends, whenever it ends, on the 23rd of March, you've got the King of the Modifieds Tour so, you've got uh, Florence Speedway, and then there's another race, right? And I'll be in session, so I'm going to have to watch this on TV. But the race after Florence is what? Caraway, Or I can't remember what. There, there's another race after that. And then the 23rd of March, which is two weeks after we're supposed to get out, maybe a week. And I'm going to put out an invitation to invite every legislator to come down, lobbyist, whatever. I want them to come down and come down to South Boston. It's a little bit over an hour away from Richmond South historic track it's going to be one of the biggest races ever on the east coast maybe in the United States Southern Modified Tour can't tell you cuz we haven't solidified but but sponsor, major Virginia sponsors are coming to make sure that maybe just possibly this could be one of the biggest purses if not the biggest purses ever in modified racing at a historic track in South Boston with our team and all these other teams and grassroots racers and I want Virginia to see that and hopefully it may be like a party celebrating that skill games are now going to be legal in Virginia, and Paysomatic, the sponsor of the series and our cars, will be there. I, I want that to be a big ass party.
2: You know, and I talked earlier in the in the show tonight about the, in my opinion, the uncalled for ads that the casinos are running on skill right. games, yeah. and then I think about people. I don't know two sweeter people in America, and I know you would probably agree with me on this, in Carmen and Michael Pace. And f- and what they do, Michael Pace, I mean, a brilliant person, self-made man, built his company, and what they do for their employees. He
1: still acts like he's the farmer that lives next door. To
2: no, no, just so you would know he had two pennies to rubbed together. Exactly. And f- for what they have done for their employees, what they do for their employees, what they do for charities, how many times we've been around them. They All donate. Hundreds of thousands of dollars to charities and charitable causes. You gave
1: money to your robotics team,
2: the robotics team, yep. and, and you know all these things they do. I your went high to school robotics team. I got went money up to Cheyenne because,
1: you, because they believed in you.
2: I went up to Cheyenne with them, and they all of these uh, war veterans and heroes and um, you know people they just donated all these money to these causes, and then I see selfish casino people running ads, throwing mud and dirt. They don't know Michael Pace and Carmen Pace. Nope. They just know they've been told, we want these skill games out so we can have a monopoly. And they're, they're painting and they, a and picture. And they don't have
1: the heart or the soul that they do and don't give to those things that they, they do automatically not. turn their It's just unfortunate. Money but back.
2: I'm proud to be associated with Pacematic and their people. And look, in this, pro, this last three-year journey we've been on, yeah. I've gotten to know, yeah, I didn't know Michael and Carmen Pace personally before the end. And now I do. I talk to Mr. Pace every couple of weeks. I text with Carmen back and forth and you know, I sent her pictures of us testing yesterday and, and you know, and trying to and, and they are good hearted, um charitable Gina, minded. You
1: got you got Alan and Joseph, yep. you've got Barley, you've got Goldine. Uh, it's quite a team. I mean, you, you can't importantly, help but like 'em.
2: You've got the small businesses that are surviving and thriving based on what pacematic does and is able to do and they're extending now to your point uh in the smart tour and this year should be bigger and better than ever. There's more talk about the smart series. There's more cars coming to the track. Oh yeah. There's more fanfare. There's more media coverage. And so Chris Williams has done a
1: pretty good job in promoting. And I think we've been a part of it as well. I think so. And I've I've done my best to try to bring to corporations that I know, the ones that act in Virginia and, and operate in Virginia Hey, you got to take a look at this. And once they see it, they go, "Yeah, that's something we want to be a part of." Yeah. But Pace and Matic was there first. And I tell you, you know, just talking about Carmen and Mike Pace. If you walk them through the General Assembly building and they met every one of these legislators, all 140 of them,
2: they told the story.
1: Yes, the bill would pass 40 to zero in the Senate. I have I have no doubt about that. to zero that. in the House. I have no doubt about that. I mean, if they would just understand, because then when in contrast you put them up against the casino interest which you know casinos came from an element you know a gangster type element or or the coldness of the of the other companies that they're here to take your money the house always wins and it goes out of the state and that they actually care about virginia they care about short track racing they care about the rural areas they care about the urban areas they care about the veterans they care about the poor they care about scholarships for kids get them exposed to to you know to, to robotics and 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 all of these things that they do I mean, the contrast is so stark. Yeah, it is, really. It is. makes a huge difference. And I think if everybody knew that, they would understand why we believe. Me, a guy who's against gambling, who didn't want casinos. Well, we're not the ones, Bill, that opened the floodgates to gambling no, in Virginia. No. I lost that we vote. We didn't decide that. I lost that vote. Yeah. But, you know, when we started, when you and I had these conversations, when we started this lawsuit, I was against unfairness yeah. more. And it seemed like I lost that. I lost that, that vote gambling was coming in sports betting was coming in i mean you're spending hundreds of millions of virginians dollars on sports betting every frigging month yeah you're seeing millions of dollars going back into the coffers of these out-of-state casinos but then they were the ones that all said all of a sudden said to this virginia general assembly you the virginia small business owner hermy sadler and everybody else can't participate this is our ground our fertile ground our money maker you can't be a part of the gaming industry and that's when i said that's unfair. That's when you said it's unfair and we decided to fight. And I, and I love that we actually are fighting for somebody to believe in. Right. Which is in two sets, the, the paces and the fam, and, you know, the family, the people that work with them are like family. I mean, they really are pretty tight and they're really all good. Good Gina, you know, the, the Gina's, uh, everybody, we just have got an affection for them by getting to know them. They're not fake. Yep. They're not out of staters that just want to come in and take advantage of Virginia. They want to be a part of the communities that's been the big difference for me. That's made the difference for why we fought.
2: You, and that's why I
1: think we were victorious for 23 months.
2: You know, unfortunately the politics and the lobbying and the mud gets in the way. But you said it a moment ago, Michael Pace and Carmen Pace could walk up and down the halls of the Capitol and he'd have his blue jeans on and on some crazy shirt. And tell a great story. Tell a great story. Thank and Carmen last. is one of the most loving, caring people I mean, she she'd be over there texting your grandma, unbelievable sure that she had you know. Uh, and I'm you know, like you, I wish in a blanket. I wish everybody when when every legislator before they had to vote on something, whether they voted for it or not, would have to sit down with the people that that are truly get affected by some of the legislation that is voted on, and maybe some of these people wouldn't always vote because of what a lobbyist said or what a donor said or whatever. These people are, I mean, it's what an American story is about and what they've built and how they did it and how they go about their business. I think like you and I have done, as you said, changing hearts and minds through this yeah. process of what we've tried to do, no longer gray they machines.
1: could do it too. Well, and, and so when I was coming out of uh, courts on Wednesday, General Laws was next door. That was when they're having the bill, when they put Aaron's bill on the House bill. Funny is this is more procedure in getting a conference committee where you work out the differences. But when they passed out that bill, the doors opened and this flood of humanity, hundreds of people came out wearing the pro skill game shirt, small business owners, uh, people that came out in support of allowing skill games to be in restaurants, bars, truck stops, and convenience stores. And I had walked out there not within any intention, but you know, I was talking to somebody. And and they came over and shook my hand. Couple of them called me Yeah which, you know, I didn't tell him I wasn't Hermie, but you know, there was actually for me the payoff of all the sweat, blood and tears that we have spent fighting this lawsuit mm-hmm. to keep small businesses. It's been a voice and, for them. Yeah. And, and it really meant something. I mean, yeah. it's like, it, this isn't, I didn't do it for, for the legal fees. I didn't do it for the man. I did it for the small businesses and they were coming out and they felt more confident and more like the Virginia government was treating them
2: equally mm-hmm. with these casinos And you could just feel the difference. And that's the difference between skill games, the industry, and the casino industry. You don't have hundreds of people coming out for casinos. We don't want a monopoly. We don't want to mistreat anybody else. We just want to be treated fairly with what we're doing. That's all. We're not saying shut them down, cut them off. They're bad people. They're scuzzy. They're this, they're that. We're just saying treat us fairly. Yeah. Fairly tax and regulate this industry. So these small businesses have a level playing field to compete on in the Commonwealth of Virginia. We want nothing more, nothing less. And I think a lot of people through this process, legislators and otherwise, and I'm going to just say something else you can disagree or not. Maybe you had even lobbyists that are lobbyists for the casinos have told me and I would never mention a name in confidence in private. They would tell me, I mean, I don't disagree with what y'all are fighting for. Yeah.
1: No, I've had it. I've had the same thing. And they got a hang dog look on their face.
2: So they're like, they don't even like what they're being paid to do. Correct. And what they're being paid to represent. Well, they can't get 200 people to show up at a committee meeting like they did. Yeah.
1: You know, with convenience store owners, restaurant I mean, owners. how can and anybody players?
2: argue with equal opportunity and a level playing field? It makes perfect sense in a democracy. Some the of the biggest lobbyists in the casinos have called me. And even when I've seen them, they've yeah. like, Hermie, yeah. I can't say this, but I had one
1: in my office today said, I wish we would have worked out a deal here. Cause I think we're going to, we're just about to lose big. Now they're getting paid and look, they, they, we, we talked about where they tried to uh, say that I violated ethics or maybe did something illegal in participating in the, uh, the, the committee It's on a previous episode. You can listen to commerce and labor took on the casino lobby that was talking crap. Uh, and then voted and they tried to go after me through the Washington Post, but I had the ethics letter. I mean, there is a lack of decorum on their part. Yeah. But I think, you know, when you represent somebody like the casinos, you kind of adopt their mentality. Sure.
2: But from the top. And and I'm going to tell
1: and I'm gonna tell you this. You know, we we talked about confidence levels. I've gone from an eight to a six. I'm in an eight again, made eight and a half. But there's still miles to travel here as well. And that is, you don't think the casinos are going to give up. You've got two bills that are vastly different. What they want to do is hang it up to where no bill gets passed. It all depends on who's assigned to the conference committees from the Senate and the House on these bills. That's going to make a difference. There may be some, you know, some jockeying there with the casinos, lobbyists, trying to get certain people that they know that will never go for a a bill on legalizing skill games. And, And on the other side, the same way. But then you've got, you know, I'm thinking about this too. Let's say the bill passes. Let's say the conference committee comes to an agreement. Let's say the governor signs it. You know what's going to happen next, don't you? They're going to sue. They're going to sue. They're going to try to knock out the law. They're never going to give up. They're never going to accept it. They're going to spend every money, every dollar that they can to try to keep this out of small business owners' hands because they see it as a threat. Rather than say, hey, we're going to compete on that level playing field. We're going to make our own skill games. We're going to. We're gonna actually uh put our games in these areas and show them why they're better than Pacematic or Vanilla or whoever the manufacturer is. They like the slant and so I don't even think it'll end. They'll seek an injunction to enjoin this new law uh in 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 a way that, you know, will hurt small business. So I don't even think it'll be over even after this bill passes it's reconciled between the conference committees and signed by the government. All
2: we want is a level playing level field
1: playing and be treated fairly. Well, I think we're on our way, and I and I feel good. But it felt good to see that sea of humanity again coming out of that conference committee and thanking you. They're like, "Tell Hermie," I said, "Thank you." Tell Hermie, I said, "Thank you." One, two guys go, Hermie. I'm like, hey. so guess what I was doing? I was signing Hermie's other guy. Yeah, Hermie's that "Hey. Yeah, long as yeah. you don't sign any checks with my name. I got on a it, small head and a small weenie. Mm. Yeah, mm. Hermie said, "I love you," and and uh, so. Uh, you know, it was kind of great to be called Hermy Sadler. But I racing no. season, y'all, y'all
2: are winding down in session, and, and racing season is winding up. So, and look, we encourage everybody to come out
1: to these races. Yeah. Go on the Smart Series uh, Facebook page, S M A R T Smart Series. Get the, you know, get the schedule. There, there are races in Virginia, in uh, Ashland, in Franklin County, in Lonesome Pines out in the southwest, uh, in South Boston. We've got great races coming up. Come out and see this action, man. Support small businesses. Sm- support these small tracks and the rural areas. Spend your dollars here. You're going to love. Be the best three hours you ever spent with good people that think like us. Yeah, sure. That believe in America,
2: believe in their their uh, fellow man, and want to make America the best. I don't even know why this popped into my head, but there used to be old Chevrolet commercial baseball, hot dogs, apple pie, pie Chevrolet.
3: think
2: <laughs> <laughs> thinking about all the yeah, yeah. the good old boy yep. stuff, but yep. it's always fun to be with you. I love you, brother. Senator. Keep up. Love you too. keep up to thank you. you know, work, I got to tell, tell you, I got to
1: tell you, I got to deal with meat and knuckleheads throughout the day in the general assembly, man, when you come out here, I'm looking forward to that as much as I look forward to, you know, I had my son Chandler out here and we, we drove back up Saturday. He had Washington's birthday off. We spent four days, just me and him. It was amazing it reinvigorated me in life, and maybe that's why I'm relaxed, wearing yeah. my shoes, feeling good, but you know what? You're fresh. When you come here, <laughs> you make my day. And you make my day, yeah. and then we get to talk about it and put it on the on the uh, podcast, and uh, I hope you've enjoyed this. I have. As much as I have, Plenty and I hope people listen- enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Listeners, we got a library. We're, we're cresting towards 100 episodes here, and, and we're going through the General Assembly. We got racing on, on the horizon. We got General Assembly in the midst of, this is, teaches you thing, and I think these, it not only teaches you things, but Quite frankly, it should demonstrate to you why you need to get active, not just vote, but get active in your local government, your state government. Find out what's going on because it affects you. We try to bring that to you, and we also try to bring you a little entertainment by you and me talking crap and also in racing. So, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for listening to this episode. Uh, Give us a five-star rating if you go on the the podcast uh, platforms. We're on every single platform. Tell your friends, our, our listenership has grown. We're really, really happy with the numbers we get. And you know what, Herm? when i when i edit this and we use we use wesley to edit it as well we put it out there within about two or three days I'm, I'm in the hallway in the general assembly building and people are repeating to me what you and i talked about so we are making a difference this is a voice of everybody that we help and hope for and work for and the people in the halls of the capital of in Richmond are listening that's important as well and i hope you are listening as well and i hope you come back next week And enjoyed this episode this week. We love you, man. I'm Virginia State Senator Bill Stanley. I'm leaning right.
2: And I'm Hermie Sadler. I'm turning left. Appreciate you listening. Thank you for the support. Thank you to PaySomatic. And we'll talk to you again next week. God bless you all.
4: it's Conrad Thompson with with SaveWithConrad.com. You've heard me bragging on the podcast for years about helping people save money on their current house, but did you know that I can help you with your next house as well? That's right. We can get you into your next house with zero down. No money down loan programs are still available, and I know it sounds too good to be true, but we can do it for you. And by the way, home ownership is more affordable than you might think. We routinely turn renters into homeowners, and we hear back that their new house payment is more affordable than what they were paying in rent. Why would you keep doing that? Stop throwing your money away, paying for someone else's mortgage, and start building wealth for your family. And let my family help at SaveWithConrad.com. You don't need perfect credit to do this. We can improve credit scores down to the 500s. And it's worth mentioning, we never say no. We say not yet, but here's how. You need a game plan to buy a house, and that's where we come in at SaveWithConrad.com. We'll ask you what down payment do you want to make, and zero is an acceptable answer, and what monthly payment do you want, and then it's time to go shopping. Find out how easy it is and how affordable it is to become a homeowner at SaveWithConrad.com.